get off the bus and become a generous giver of your life. I want you to do something for me a second. I want you to think about the most generous person that you know. If you were to open up your history, your present, and an image comes to mind, think about the most generous person who has walked through your path that you know and has impacted your life. What are the characteristics about that person visually? What, what do you know about that person? When you spend time with them and after you left them, what happens to you? Who is that person and why are they generous and why would you describe them as generous? Now, think about the person who's just the opposite of that, the least generous person that you know. Someone who squeaks when they walk, someone who holds money tightly, someone who never picks up the tab at the restaurant, someone who waits for you to do it, someone who is afraid to take a step out and enjoy something with fear that something might come their way that would not allow them to pay for that. The most generous person I can think of as a human being would be my father, who went to be with the Lord about four and a half months ago. He just gave his life. He gave his love. He gave his resources. He gave his time. And uh, he, you ask any of my siblings, you ask his grandchildren, uh, they call him Pappy Brown was the most generous person they've ever met. And I would attest to that. My dad was the most generous person I've ever met. And his legacy deposited that into us. And I long to have the generosity of my father. It continues to impact us. So outside of that, for me, the most generous person I know is God. There's no one that's more generous than God. He could have given us anything. God could have given us anything. And as he looked through his resources of supply, the God who created the world, God who spoke it into existence, who made all, who holds it all together, Colossians said, saw human beings that would be placed on planet earth that he would create and that procreation would continue to have them on earth. He knew that they needed a savior. So when he scoured the hallways of heaven, it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And our Father God gave Jesus his only son to save us of our sins. Are you, aren't you grateful for that today? There is no greater gift that can be given than for one to lay down his life for another. That's what love is. And God is the most generous God there is. And he gave his son. And so when generosity happens, you remember it and it impacts you. And God continues to give. That same God longs to give and he's modeled it to us and he wants us to be generous. He wants us to carry the same attributes, characteristics that he carries. And so as we live this life, one of the characteristics of our God is a generous, sacrificial, loving, all-giving God. He gave his best for us. One of the things that we have tried to do as parents and continue to do as parents as we've raised our children, even as they're adults and, and Isaiah is a senior in high school, we want them to be as generous as God has been generous to. We want them to be children. We want to be parents. We want to be people who are people of generosity because our God is a God of generosity. And we want them to know that our God likes to give his kids gifts and he likes to supply. When Josh was seven or eight years old, and roughly around that time, he was a big Orioles fan. He's still a big Orioles fan, Baltimore Orioles fan. I'm from the East Coast. I root for the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Josh does, and Isaiah does, and even Hannah does. And my wife roots for the Detroit Tigers. We pray for her salvation regularly because of that. I'm just kidding. You know that's not true. She probably prays for me in the Orioles. She says we brainwashed our, I brainwashed our kids. And so Josh's always been a big Orioles fan. And as a little guy, we would root for the Orioles, and he'd like the Orioles gear, and 
And Ann and Josh were in Target store together. He was just a little guy, and they're walking in there, and they, they went to the sports section, and there was this jersey. And if you know anything about the history of the Oils, there was a man played by the name of Cal Ripken, probably one of the greatest uh, iron men that ever played the game, longest uh, playing game streak there was. And so Josh saw this jersey. It was a Cal Ripken, number eight. And as an eight-year-old boy, it's like, man, I want one of those. I want to wear one of those. So he looked at his mom, and mom was with him. He said, can we buy one of those? And, and Ann says, Josh, we don't have the money to purchase that at this time. And, 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 she, and so she shared with him that we, we don't have the resources to be able to do it right now. And, and so when they got in the vehicle and they were leaving, they began to talk about it. And Josh brought it back up and, and, and said something along these lines, I'd love to have that jersey. And so Ann said, Josh, just, just pray about it. Pray to our God. Our God supplies. God promises supply for us. And, and, and so they prayed. They're in the vehicle leaving Target. And so he just prayed in a way as an eight-year-old does. Probably, Lord, just give me the jersey. I'm, I want it. So they get home. And as we get home, one of the things we did as a family, generally, when we lived on Tarman Road, is we would go and collect golf balls that were hit, sliced towards Viata. And uh, we had worked out a deal with the owner there at, uh, at time at at that time of the Parmore Par 3 golf course, that we would trade in golf balls. He would give us 25 cents a piece, and then we would turn it in for a membership. So we taught our kids as they were little that if you got golf balls, you could turn it in and you could play golf. And so we, we worked out a deal. And so regularly, we would daily go over there. It was a fun thing for the Brown family to do, to go over and ride our bikes over and go look for golf balls, and we would collect them. So that night, we were making our way there to the golf course. And so we spread out, and, and we try to find the most, and, 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 and then we try to find the golf balls, and we're in one section, and kids are another, and all of a sudden, we hear Josh, and dad, mom, standing in the grass about this deep near, near Viado on, on hole number seven, where most people slice and hit the building, a bunch of golf balls are there, and, and we thought, what, what's going on, dad, mom, and he's waving this thing in his hand, I found a $10 bill, $10 bill. Why that's so significant is the price of the jersey with tax was $9.79. And that morning, Josh had prayed as an eight-year-old would pray, Dear God, you're my father. I I want a jersey. Like, can I have it tonight? All that to say this. Our God loves giving his kids gifts. And he loves. You know, when prayer goes up, power comes down. And when we lift prayers to our God, power comes down, and God has modeled generosity. And he's telling us, not only that, but he wants us to be people of generosity. And he has reminded us over and over in Scripture, when we give, he resupplies back when we give. And there's this principle in Scripture, if we trust him to give and be generous, then he will continue to supply for us way beyond anything we ask or imagine. And he continues to be our resupplier. But we have to believe by faith that we give first, that he will supply back even when it doesn't make sense because that's the principle he set in place and he gave his son he gave us a gift that we could never ever earn on our own i want to show you an account in scripture today of someone who believed that truth that if we're generous and we give even when it doesn't make sense that god will continue to resupply our resources grab your bible it's this amazing story and turn to first kings chapter 17 1 Kings chapter 17. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up or ushers will put one in your hand today. 1 Kings chapter 17 in the Old Testament. And we're going to read verses 2 to 13. As you find that, stand with me. We like to stand as we read God's word out loud together. And turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to read out loud together verses 2 through 13. So I encourage you to join with me 
And read it with me. God's living word, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to penetrate the bone and marrow and bring life to you and us today. 1 Kings 17, let's read verses 2 to 13 out loud. Ready, read. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Turn eastward and hide in Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. He drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had not been rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour and a jar and a little olive oil and a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and what? Die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. You may have a seat. We are going to see from this account today and all through scripture this incredible truth. When we give, God resupplies back. My hope today is this, after we walk through this message, that somehow you'll walk away and you'll ask yourself this question. Am I trusting God that when I give, he resupplies? Not only when I give, he supplies someone else. There's other people out there that we're to care for. There are other ways we're supposed to take the resource. It's all his, but he uses us to resource them and to provide for them and to rescue them. Picture a second, this guy called Elijah, this prophet of God. We know from the text this, that prior to him going to this widow's house, that he daily went to this brook. God said, if you go to this brook, and sit down, you can drink water. And if you go there, he said, I will feed you twice a day. I'll feed you in the morning, and I'll feed you in the evening. So picture if you can. Sometimes we try to over-spiritualize these things or make it look like Spider-Man or Batman. It wasn't. Picture if you can, this raven daily coming by. He sees Elijah, and so he's sitting on the shoreline. He's right there in the morning. He's waiting And this bird comes by in its talons is a T-bone and and some butter rolls and drops them in the morning. So he eats them up. And then that evening, there he comes again. Maybe this time it's a Big Mac and fries. Drops them and eats them daily. Now picture if you can, if you're a fisherman in that brook one morning. And you're there casting your line, you're trying to catch some fish, or you're in local trying to gather water to drink. And you see this raven coming in, and you duck like, there's a raven. And you watch this raven go by, and you see this guy standing there with this plate. And this raven drops his food on his plate. And then you watch him eat, and you're like, what just happened? And suppose you stayed there long enough that day that you were fishing through the evening, and you were still curious about, what just took place? Like, you know, you wondered, did I have too much pizza last night? And about in the evening, the sun is setting and you're casting out there and the fish are starting to bite. And 
there's another raven. And this raven comes in and you see this guy who's hairy, scripture says. He looks kind of weird. Standing up and there he is again holding his plate. And this raven comes in and drops a filet mignon and some cheese muffins. There it is. Now, in your mind, what are you thinking? Did I just see that? So day after day, day, night after night, God used ravens to feed Elijah. So he had already witnessed God provide for him. But then the text says this. Something happened to the climate. Look at 1 Kings chapter 17. Verse 7 says, Some time later, the brook did what? What's it say? Dried up because there had been no what in the land. So now we know there's a drought. And if you hang on to this account, you know it didn't rain for three years or more. But in this moment, we know it dried up. So the same brook that he went to to gather water, it was gone. And there was a drought in the land. Now, if you know and you're watching, it hasn't rained in a while, and you're a good mama and you're a good dad, and you're, you're a smart person, you're a smart single, you're, you're a smart son, you had begun already to gather water. So in your house are all these containers of water. There are these thermoses in the basement of your home because you realize it hasn't rained. And you look at the forecast, you got your weather app and you're checking ahead. No rain, no rain, no rain. 15 days ahead, you can check on your phone. It's not going to rain. So you send your kids out daily. Go get some water. So in your house, you're collecting water. But as time goes on and there's not rain, your water supply is diminishing. So enter into this account, this widow who faced the same drought, who had seen the same brook dry up, and out of nowhere, this hairy man comes and meets her and says this to her. Look what he says. Sometime later, verse 7, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a what to supply you with food. What does it say? Now pause for a second. If God is supplying, wouldn't you think, uh, wouldn't you seriously think, well, I'm sending him to the food bank. I'm sending him to the person who's got a storehouse of food. They got so much food that you'll be good for as long and until the rain comes again. But God had already showed him that he didn't have a, 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 a big supply that he could see, but he provided for him daily. So he sends him to a widow. Look what it says. So he went. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? Now pause for a second. That in itself was a huge sacrifice. We know from this text that she has a son. And we know it had been dry for a very long time. Just giving him water alone meant she had to come home. She had to bring her canteen. And she would have to go from her diminishing supply of water and give it to this prophet. We don't see her hesitate at all. In fact, look what happens next. As she was going to what? What's the text say? Get it. He called And bring me, please, he says. You like how he does that? And bring me, please, a piece of what? 
As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any what? Okay, we can stop there and say, okay, God, what are you up to? I mean, Elijah could have stopped right there and said, Lord, you told me to go to this woman. And she's going to supply me some food. And the first thing I ask her is to get water. And I say, while you're at it, please give me some bread. Lord, she says she doesn't have any bread. Like, where are you sending me? And what's it say next? And pre- please bring me a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of what? What's the text say? In a jar and a little what? Olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a what? What's it say? Meal for myself and my what? That we may eat and what? They don't have food. In fact, the only meal that's available is just a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. She says, I would love to feed you, but I want you to know that I have one meal left in my house. I'm part of the same drought. The water's gone and my flour's down. And I want you to know, if I feed you this, then we're going to die. In fact, I thought we would die in a couple days because this is our last meal. It means if I give you what was intended for me and my son, then I want you to know, it really doesn't make sense for me to do that because if I give out of all that I have, then we die. So picture if you can, just, just pause. I mean, there's probably a hesitation there, and he's probably thinking, God, why are you asking me to take from her that if I take from her, that's her last meal, and why would you ever expect that, and how are you going to work all this out? And so then the text says this. Look, at, look, look, look what it says. Elijah said to her, verse 13, don't be what? What's it say? Why do you think he said that? Because he could read her face. Like, she was pondering these thoughts as any person would. I mean, she loved her children. She was probably a great mom, and she knew she had probably, she had just, I mean, just, she had worked that flour, and she had worked that oil because there was a drought in the land, and the crops couldn't grow, and she knew, she had calculated, and when he asked, she he knew, listen, there, there's only this much left. And the fear on her face and the concern on her face was obvious that if I give this to you, I die. This doesn't compute. And then it says this. I just said, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. Whew. Feed my son. No. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. How is that possible? So she has a dilemma on her hand. Do I trust you, God? You're asking me, God, to give away my last meal and me and my boy. In fact, I'm not even worried about me. My son's going to die. And if it's like any mom in this room, you, you want to protect your child. She has a choice to make in that moment. Will I take the last meal and give it to this hairy prophet who was fed by ravens? Like, God, can't you send more some more ravens? No, I want you. 
And if you trust me, God's saying, if you generally say give all that you got, even when it doesn't make sense, I'll keep resupplying. I'll keep resupplying. I'll keep giving you flour. I'll keep giving you oil. I will cover you until the rain hits the land. So we're standing there. It's the limit. What is it? It's I trust you, God, enough and believe by faith and not by sight. She had a choice to make. Would she do what didn't make sense? Would she take a portion? And not only a portion, would she give all to God and believe in the promise of God's word that he would resupply for her? You see, your present financial situation should have nothing to do with your giving. So you might say, well, Pastor Jim, I got these bills to pay. Pastor Jim, I got, I got these college loans. And Pastor Jim, I, I got these college funds that I'm saving towards. Pastor Jim, I have this IRA. Pastor Jim, I got to retire. Pastor Jim, I got, I got to take all this. And if I give some of that, then how in the world will I get from here to there? Not only get from here to there, God says, if you trust me in this, I will continue to show you things that you've never seen before. And I will supply all that you need. It's a principle that's all through Scripture. Let me just give you a, a personal. In all seriousness, I could tell you, and my wife could tell you, and my children could tell you, and some of you could tell, I could tell you thousands of stories how God has provided for us. By a very basic principle, we believe this truth. We believe that if we give to God what is his in the first place, he can do more with our money that we give him that we could ever do on our own. And by giving, not only does it bless us and he resupplies, it blesses someone else too. And in this case, it was Elijah the prophet. When Ann and I felt the call of God to go to seminary and be called to ministry, Josh was nine months old and we lived in Hagerstown, Maryland. This was 24 years ago, 25 years ago. And, and so we felt the call, and we knew that God was calling us to, to, to go in and get a 92-hour master's degree, a master of divinity at Grace Seminary. We believed that God was calling us, but as we looked at our bank account, we realized, God, you're going to have to do something to allow this to happen. But we believed by faith, and we believed God was calling us, and we saw him in prayer, and we fastened him, and we took off. We drove to Winona Lake, Indiana, and we had five weeks of income. Five weeks, we could pay the rent, we could pay our food, we could pay our NIPSCO, and we prayed. Lord, we believe that if we go by faith and not by sight, that you'll provide for the rest of that three years. So we headed out. In fact, I found an apartment Anne had never even seen. My stepfather and I drove out to Winona Lake, and we found an apartment. And so we moved from a four-bedroom home into a two-bedroom upstairs apartment in Winona Lake. In fact, the next day, we had so much stuff in my other place. God downsized us, and it was such a blessing that we took half of the truck and gave it away to Goodwill. Every bit of it, just, just gave it away. So we're sitting in the midst of these boxes that night. I'll never forget when we moved there. I had called ahead and had some friends that were supposed to meet us there. Josh was nine months old, and there were supposed to be four of my buddies that were supposed to meet in there to unpack the truck. And when we got there, they forgot, and they got the times mixed up. And we were dr- walking up two-story stuff, trying to carry stuff. And we were sitting in the mix of these boxes. There was so much stuff in our, in our apartment that we couldn't move. And we're both sitting there and crying, yes, God, we believe you. <laughs> we believe you called us here, God. We looked at each other. We believe, don't we? <laughs> we believe. We believe. 
Praise God, we believe. Josh is looking at us and he's like, what's going on with mom and dad? (laughs) And through those tears, we believe. And so I began to look for a job. I have a construction background. I had worked as a carpenter, as a trim carpenter prior to that. And yet, even going there, my wife will tell you, and by the way, she's not there with this right now. She, She said, Jim, your desires and your belief in God, she said, you were way too idealistically what you wanted from God and what you believed God could do. I remember saying, Here, here's what I believe, God. If you're calling us to that, then I'm going to ask you to give me a job that I don't have to work night shift. I want to sleep at nighttime and be home with my son and my, do- my wife. I want to protect them. Lord, I, I, I long to have a job that can work around while I go to school, have some flexibility. So, Lord, if you could provide something that I could go to school full time and I could work that would provide, I would love for you to do that. And, Lord, I have a son and I have a wife, and I would love for you, Lord, please, God, will you provide for me financially enough that you would give us health insurance because we need health insurance. And so we went out there five weeks. One week, I'm looking for a job. I'm in the Warsaw Times looking and trying to find. I'm in the free paper looking. I did some side work, and I got to the fourth week, and we started that fifth week. And we would look at each other, and I said, I believe, I believe, I believe. I believe, I believe, we believe. About two days into that fifth week, I received this call from a friend of mine named Daryl Goodman, who I had played basketball with at Grace College in 1986, my freshman year. And he says, hey, Jim, he says, I heard you moved into the area. And he said, I didn't know you were here. He said, but, you know, uh, we're looking for some help. I have me and my buddy, Worth Packer, who I'd played basketball with, too. He said, hey, hey uh, um, we're looking for a carpenter, and we just built this house. We framed it up, and we need a guy who would trim it out. Would you be willing to come trim out this house? And I'm like, <laughs> you bet. I would love to trim out that house. And he says, by the way, we just kind of let you know if it works out and we like your work and and we like the work that you do here, then we would like to have you as part of our team. So there was some pressure there. Like some carpenters that are trim carpenters will say, little putty, little paint, make a carpenter what he ain't. I'm not one of those carpenters. (laughs) So I went there and and framed out or trimmed out this house, crown mold and chair rail and colonial casing and colonial baseboard. And I got to the end of the week and my friend Daryl came to me, says, Jim, he says, you know what? We love your work. We'd love for you to, to work with us. I remember going home that night after that in tears and just going to Ann and saying, God provided. I said, not only did he provide, but I want to tell you what Daryl said. And I said, what? she said, what is that, honey? He said, he'd like to give me a company truck to drive too, <laughs> a Ford 1F50. And this van that you have, he would, uh, that, that we now have, hun- you can now drive that. We had a van that had 200,000 miles on. You can go wherever you want. In fact, when it breaks down, I can pick you up now. <laughs> <Just like. laughs> then Daryl said these words, I'll never forget. He said, not only that, he said, I'd love to pay your health insurance. And he said, Daryl, and Worth and I have been talking about it. And he said, you know that. He said, you know what? He said, there's no reason. We, we like to give you life insurance too. And he said, by the way, he said, you just work around your schedule. Whatever works for you. If you've got to come in early in the morning, you've got to come later in the afternoon, you, 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 you just take care of it, and, 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 and we would love to have you with us. And that began the answer to God providing for us. We got to the end of that journey, and I got the call here to Goshen. He is one of my closest friends, Daryl Goodman, because he understands generosity, and our wives connected so well. And we got to the end of this journey, and we're coming here to Goshen, and be quite frank, went through seminary. It's roughly sixty dollars to $90,000 to go for a 92-hour degree. We got to the end of seminary, and we were beginning to look for a home in Goshen. 
And so we were looking for houses to buy. We had zero in the bank. We had zero on our credit cards. God had paid every nickel, every penny for seminary. We had no debt for school. And when we got to the end of this journey, Daryl looked at me and says, Jim, I, you know, hey, I love you like a brother. And Steph and I have been talking and we'd love to just give you that Ford F-150. And it was valued at $8,000. We sold that truck, bought me a small truck and bought Anne a van. And so we're sitting in the loan officer's room down in Winona Lake. We're buying a house in New Paris. We're trying to buy a house. Here's a couple that has no down payment. Here's a couple that has zero in the bank, but we don't have any debt. We didn't have anything on our credit cards. We believe by faith that God would provide. I'm sitting there, and Anna's sitting there, and I pull my W-2s out. She says, can I see your W-2s from last year? I said, yes, ma'am. And I laid them on her desk, and, and she took a look. She says, huh, you made 13000 this year and 17000 this year. And she said, can I see your wife's W-2s? I said, ma'am, we don't have any more. She looked at me kind of puzzled. She said, you went to seminary? You just graduated from 90 hours of Grace Seminary? She said, you don't have any debt with your credit cards. You don't have any savings. She said, how in the world did you do that? I said, can I I tell you? Can I answer that question? She said, yeah. I said, we believe that our God will provide where he calls you to something. And I began to unpack all these stories. And I said, you know what? I want you to know something too. I said, in the midst of this, every single time we got a paycheck, we gave back to what God said he wants us to give. And God kept resupplying. And she looked at me, and she says this, and the loan was there, and it had no down payment. You're supposed to have principal mortgage insurance and all those other things. And she looked at this, and she said this. I'll never forget. She, she just looked there, and she looked at me like this, and she just looked at Aunt. She says, I've never had a case like this. And she said, if you made it off of this, 13000 to 17000 and she said, and God covered all that, then what keeps me from giving you a loan? <laughs> And she gave us a loan based on what God had done. Why do I tell you that? I want you to know this, that our God can provide. That our God, this resupply, if we give just 10% of what's his already, and we allow him to work and bless others, he keeps resupplying until we don't need it anymore. So I look at this account, and I, and I think of this. I mean, look at, look at verse 15. In verse 15, it says this. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. There was food. How many days for Elijah? What does it say? Every day. Where would that come from? She only had enough for one meal. She only had enough to, for one meal, and her son would die. But she did as Elijah had told her. Why? Because God had spoken to him and said, if you do this, he will supply. Then it says this. So there was food, how many days for Elijah and the woman? Every day. And for the jar of flour was not used up. And the jar, jug of oil did not run dry. In keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Only by giving. Hear me out. Only by giving are you able to receive more than you already have. Only by giving. Only by giving are you able to receive more than you already have. Here's the reality. Many in this room trust God with their salvation. Yet many don't trust him with their money. 
You trust him. Yeah, Lord, I believe I'm saved by grace through faith. Lord, I believe the work on the cross. God, I believe that somehow I'm a new creation because you did it, God. And I believe you're able to resurrect my life, Lord. I'm a new person. And when you trust in Jesus, it is the most miraculous thing on planet earth ever to take place. And we trust him, we believe him, we let him save us, we let him continue to be our Lord and Savior, yet we won't trust him with our money. What up with that? If God can save and make a dead man live, don't you think he can make money resupply itself? Do you? Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with this. I'm going to introduce you to two people today. First person, I'm going to call Phil. His name's Phil. The second person, is, his name's going to be Bill. Phil and Bill said it the same church their whole lives. Maybe it's Grace Community Church. They hear the same messages, read the same Bible day after day. They've heard the same Sunday school lessons. They've heard the same challenges. They watch the same people get saved. They watch God do the miraculous. They've been in the same church the whole life. Same information, same everything. Both of them have the same job. Both of them make the same money. Both of them are executives and able to to fend for themselves. Both of them have a desire to take their resources, all their money, and to move from point A to point B. They have a desire. I want to take my resources, and they begin calculating A to B. I want to take my resources and I want to get to a point by the time I retire that I can still make it and I can continue to, to, to do what I want to do. So Phil begins to calculate. He calculates all that's there. He, he says, I have vacations. I have 401s. I have bills. I have college funds. I have kids. I have a wife that likes to shop. I like shoes myself. I like to hunt. And so he begins to calculate. And in his mind, the only way to get from A to B with the resources that he can see is to take 100% of his resources and manage them himself. And then there's this guy called Bill. He's got the same things, vacations, 401s, bills, college funds, kids, a wife that likes to shop. He likes Amazon and Cabela's. And he wants to take his resources, same amount of money, yet he looks at it and he says, you know, in order for me to make that happen, I'm willing to do this. I think I can do it with 90%. And then I'm going to have this little C part. And I'm going to give that 10% to that little C part, the God piece. And I'm going to believe that somehow I can get from A to B by only taking 90% and giving 10% to God. I believe that somehow this C part, God can resupply. And not only resupply, but can do be immeasurably more than I ever ask or imagine. Now, let me just say, if you put these two guys in a room and they look at each other, you know what they're going to say? They both think they're idiots. Phil's going to say, you're an idiot. Do you really believe 
that you can get to see? There's no way. I punched the numbers. I've calculated the cost. I've looked at the interest. I've looked at the compound interest. I know. I've looked at inflation rates. There's no way. You're an idiot. And Bill's going to look at him and says, I punched the numbers. I've calculated. And I read the book. And I've heard the word of the Lord. And you are an idiot not to trust in God. Let me just ask a question today as you think about these two situations. What's the C part? The C part is all the stories you get to tell your grandkids. It's all the stories you get to tell your kids how God provided. It's all the Grace College and Grace Seminary stories. You can stand in front of people and say, if you trust God, let me tell you what he can do. It's all the stories where you were able, because God has this principle in Scripture that if you give, he resupply, where you were able to rescue an orphan, where you were able to save a teen, where you were able to feed someone and clothe someone and give someone some of your food that you thought was your last. But you're saying, but how, Phil say, how can I do that? I got bills to pay. And if I take from that, then my kids are going to die. You know how you do it? You trust in God. And so many who call themselves Christ followers go their whole lives and they never, ever have a chance to tell their grace. See, I long one day, and I can stand here today and say that about my folks. My parents gave God 10%. And they never missed a beat. And the blessing and generosity that they gave to others in the kingdoms, there are thousands and thousands of stories to tell. So here's what I say to you today. Which idiot do you want to be? An idiot who is just crazy believing in God? Or an idiot who says, there's no way I can do it on my own? I'm going to take you to a place called sea, God says, if you trust me. It's a favored, supernatural, blessed place or condition where I can open doors for you and provide for you in ways, humanly speaking, it could never happen. And if you're willing to trust me, even like this widow was, I will take you to see and you will tell story to your kids and grandkids for the rest of your lives about the goodness and generosity of our God. I ask you today, which person are you? You hear the teaching? What are you afraid of? Do you somehow think <laughs> that you can do a better job with the money God has given you than God can? You see, if you don't trust Jesus with your money, then you don't trust Jesus. You know the best cure to materialists? You can't tell me that you're not a materialist if you're not giving. Generosity is the cure to materialism. I want you to turn to a principle in the Old Testament. We're going to look at it. Look at Malachi chapter 3. Here's what God's word says. Malachi chapter 3. I'll just let you look at it. Malachi chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I just want this a personal level for Ann and I. We have been to the bottom of the bottom. We have stood in food lines. God provided. We have gotten free peanut butter and free diapers. 
God provided. We, we have stood in poverty and lived in poverty and God provided for us. But there has never been a time ever in our marriage that we haven't tithed to our God. Why? Because he wants us to. And we want to live a life that has the sea stories to tell to the nations. Why? So that our God gets greater glory. Look at Malachi chapter 3. Look at verse 6. It says, I, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you, God, in your tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much what? What's the word? Blessing that there will not be enough room to, to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. One translation says it this way. It says, then I will rebuke the devourer for you and the divines in your fields will not will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now, I know where you want to go, because I've, I've had these conversations. Listen, and someone said, that's Old Testament. We're in the New Testament. Yeah, we are, aren't we? And do you think that God would ever require less of a New Testament prosperous believer than he did of a poor Israelite in the Old Testament? Jesus raised the bar. He never lowered it. Plus, tithing has been part of the local church for hundreds of years. In fact, in 1516, in the Council of Trent, if you didn't tithe, you were excommunicated. That even postdates the law in the Old Testament. Principles all through Scripture, Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops, and your barns will be filled with overflowing, and your vats will brim with new wine. The only antidote to lust of the eyes is generosity. In other words, don't give out of what remains. It has nothing to do with how much you make. I've heard people say this. Well, 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 some say you can't give because you, because, because you, you give when you make more. Oh, give me a break. Are you kidding me? If you're not giving out of little, what makes you think you're going to give out of much? You already struggle with material. Let me just say this. For those who don't give to God and believe that he can resupply, where's that gotten you right now? How do you feel right now in your debt? Like, has it worked out? Are you seeing the blessing of God? Or are you saying that somehow God can't provide? God says, test me in this. He's saying, don't you know that I know how much you make? Don't you know that you can trust me in this? For crying out loud, put God on your team. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says this, turn to New Testament. This is New Testament. This okay. If you say, well, what's what New Testament say then? Let's see. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6 says this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap. How? What's it say? Sparingly. Okay. Principle God's put in order. And whoever sows generously will also reap what? Generously. Each of you should give 
what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And here, now, now look at this. Here's what happens. And God is able to what you? What's the word? Come on, come on, help me out. You're, open your Bibles. You've got to look at this. You've got to speak this truth. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says, and God is able to what you? How much? What's the word? Abundantly. So that in how many things? What's the word? And in how many times? And having what? That you need, you will abound in every good work. This could be the turnaround for you today. You see, most of you who come to Grace Community Church received a giving statement this year. Let me ask you a question. Were you Phil or Bill? Are you trusting God or are you trusting in you? You see, here's the beautiful picture is this. This is God's promise to us. This isn't Jim's promise. This is God's promise. He's saying out there, there's someone, a local church. That's where you start your giving. Give that to them first and to the local church. And it should be a tithe. He says, when you give to the local church out of your resources, it helps somebody else. You see, I come to Grace Community Church. I love Grace Community Church. But we're doing great things. But you would dare not give God 10%, would you? Because we could do greater things. Yeah, I give to Grace Community Church. And the picture is this. As you give, God gives back. And as you continue to give, you can't stop God from giving to you. And there's this overflow of blessing that takes place. Pull away just because I always believe this. I should never call you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. No leader should ever do that. Like if I'm asking you to crawl and, and put insulation in a crawl space in a building, I should crawl in there and do it with you. I should get my elbows dirty too. I, you should see me do that. I should never ask you to do more than I'm willing to do on my own. One of the basic principles that Ann and I've had for years, the government takes a percentage of our money <laughs> all the time, every paycheck. Like, we, don't, we can't stop it. They just, I got it. Uncle Sam got it. And so we made it. This has been our, our desire. We want to give as much to God in the local church as we give to Uncle Sam. Because we believe that God could do better than Uncle Sam came with the money. And so not only do we give a tithe, but we give an offering. And let me just tell you something. When it comes time to give and the offering plate is passed, my wife, she puts a big smile on the, on the giving statement. And we love, here's the other thing, we love giving to Grace Community Church because Grace Community Church reaches the nations. There come a point in our lives, every year we've given more. And it's just great. And you know what happens? We can't keep up with God. He wins every time. Let me ask you a question. Are you giving God a tithe? Why aren't you? Because you're afraid that somehow God won't come through on his word. Hear me out. God always comes through on his word. Always. And the very reason you might be in such financial struggles is because you have tried to manage your money yourselves. Maybe you ought to turn from Phil and become Bill. Oh God, help us today. 
God, this is more than just a principle. This is a lifestyle of blessing and generosity. I pray you'll release the stronghold of materialism and fear that's on people when it comes to giving to you. And I pray, God, they'll do what you said in Malachi, test you in this. God, there are principles in Scripture that you have set into place that if we give, you resupply. And when we give, others are blessed. People are one to Jesus, and the kingdom is advanced forcefully, and the enemy is defeated. It's just a matter of trusting and obeying. I pray, God, that we would trust and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen.